I'd like to argue on behalf of Abu Dhabi, actually, to remain the final race of the season. Why is that? Well, because if the season ended in Brazil, we'd want more. And now I feel like I've just <laughs> taken a pretty good dose of melatonin heading into the slog of the off season. It's kind of just like, yep, I'm good. I need a break. <laughs> good night. <laughs> Pole position, mate. Pole position. Let's fucking go! <laughs> yes! 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 Cal, I have a last minute question for you. How many days old is <laughs> Mick Schumacher? Five. Actually, how many hours old is Mick Schumacher? <laughs> no, so... Uh, I forgot to plan for this. I burnt all my good questions on our previous episode. Go listen to that F1 trivia battle. It's very good. None of this is the question. This is stalling for time. So season just ended. Yeah. Sebastian Vettel retired. Lovely send off for the guy. You love to see it. My question for you is if you haven't looked at this yet. I don't, I don't think I have. I, I haven't been on social media all this morning. In the 2022 driver's standings, where did Seb finish? Oh, um, I'm going to say 11th. You're close. It's 12th. Okay. I know that's a question where the answer is kind of unsatisfying because there's 20 possible answers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or I guess 18 possible (laughs) answers. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Welcome to it, folks. This is the season review Actually, I've got a better question. What did what did it say on the side of Seb's helmet today? Uh, thank you, fans like Danka fans or something like that. It said the final oh, lap. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. That's a better question. So this is uh, not only is this our the wrap on our our first season, but it's actually the one year anniversary of our first episode. Is it? Did well, you could, check? I per- wasn't the first episode that we did the reaction to Abu Dhabi. Um, that would make sense. I'm almost certain it was. So. It was. We have gone. However, we did record that in March. Right. (laughs) We have gone around 310 days longer than I thought we'd actually last. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah, we did. We've gone. I guess this is. Well, this would make this month like 10. Yeah. Nine. And we've done this like 13 times, which is pretty good. So. Uh, we have another podcast coming up, another uh, a show coming up next week that will be driver grades. Um, so we'll get a little more into the intricate details of everyone's season. But right now we want to go over a few topics. You know, the race, the final race of the season just ended. Uh, we got to see Seb Vettel say goodbye. Uh, we got to see Danny Ricardo say a bit of a more abbreviated goodbye. Uh, Fernando Alonso said a very quick goodbye to uh, Alpine. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I joke about it, but I kind of actually am ready for the offseason because I think this year was a little bit more emotional in a different way. Like, last season was, like, vitriol and um, anger and angst. And this was kind of like, uh, you know, with the send-offs and how the season kind of tapered off after Max had won like four or five races ago. 
I honestly, I do feel eased into the off season now. And I think I'm ready to kind of forget about F1 for the next couple months. Yeah, it kind of followed a very, uh, like when you had to make a story map in English class when you were a kid and it's got the rising action right, and the, the climax and the yeah. falling action. We were firmly in the falling action. Yeah. And yeah, it was very sweet, I think, seeing... You know, an outpouring of support for a lot of the drivers that are either we're not going to see around much or at all or moving from one team to another and just sort of having that kind of last day of school feeling to this rather than I'm going to reach through my television and choke somebody. Like, I think this definitely benefited from having a send off. And I also think just Seb really sort of took over this final race um, in terms of what the focus was actually on it was like oh who's gonna be in second but also seb's leaving yeah i think that also makes it feel a little bit different like you're saying the championship's kind of an afterthought so yeah good a time as any to sort of take a breath take a look back and then uh get into formula e big time (laughs) in a couple weeks before we get to more of our like specific um uh uh, topics we're going to talk about the max and and Checo controversy. Uh, We're going to talk about Ferrari's season as a whole. Uh, We're going to discuss our favorite races of the season, the regulations, and how you want to see the sport improved in the next few months before we're back in Bahrain next year. Or is it Australia that we're starting with next year? I'll check, but I think it's Bahrain again. Anyways, um, I'd like... we should just give a grade uh, before we get to our driver driver grades for the the next show. We should just give a grade to this season overall because I feel like whereas last, Bahrain it is Bahrain to be okay. clear. Um, where I feel like last season it's almost as if every race kind of like one upped itself until the final stretch of those three races where it, it became very obvious that we were going down to a. a basically a final few laps sh- uh, showdown and we ended on the highest of highs this season had i would say overall a, a number of better races than we saw last season but i th- there were a couple snooze fests and also the um the story arc like you just talked about was far far different where it started off on fire like the the battle between Charles and max for the first like eight or nine races of the season was crazy and you really didn't know where it was going to go until max kind of like just got a stranglehold um on the championship so it started off with, with a bang i thought better than last season but then it tapered off I'm, I'm interested to hear like if last season was an a right sure what was this season I don't know, maybe a like it's not significantly worse by any yeah. like meaningful metric because the thing that we're going to get into is while that championship fight was very different, the midfield was a fucking bonanza the entire season. Mm-hmm. Whether you were following very closely in the individual results and seeing who might um, you know, make up how many extra millions of dollars in P6 or versus 7 or whatever, but um that's where a lot of the excitement was and i think that counts for something um if it was an a maybe this is like a b plus i don't think yeah. it's bad yeah like, I, I would that's what i was thinking yeah um i also i think last season we didn't get outside of you know uh lando almost winning in russia 
Daniel winning in Monza. We didn't really get those. I remember when we were good. Yeah. Fuck. We didn't really get those massive midfield moments. And I just think, I know it's kind of recency bias, but like K-Mag in Brazil getting pole position was, I, I honestly think it, that's, that's, that almost was better than Ricardo's win in Monza last year because we could, I mean, McLaren last season was a guaranteed third. You could argue at points this season, Haas has been the second worst team consistently. And I don't know, to me, it's like that felt more like Gasly winning in Monza or um, Akon winning in Hungary than it was McLaren having a pretty good weekend overall. Like, I, 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 just, think- I just think they're all kind of the same. They're all just products of yeah. circumstance, right? Like, if we're being honest, like, if you whittle it down t- to take the, the fun parts out, mm-hmm. it's just he was on track at the right time. <laughs> like, yeah, you fair. can do that to all of them if you want. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm good with a B plus though. That and you know what? I don't know if it managed to hit the expectations of these brand new regulations. It was pretty close. We'll get we'll get to that later on in the show. Um, but I mean, if anyone was underwhelmed, I think that they're focusing too much on how the season tapered off after Max had pretty much wrapped this thing up the race after the summer break ended. It is easy to forget how wild the opening of this season was yeah. it also started with a double red bull dnf which yeah. i feel like we forget about like they it was fucking gnarly out there at the beginning mm-hmm. okay so this this kind of feels like we're, we're missing the height of the discussion the discourse um on this next topic because we didn't really get much of max versus checo uh in abu dhabi and not necessarily that that was going to happen on the track, but more on the radio and whether or not Max was going to screw him again this time. But we didn't get to talk about this, and I think it's one of the actually bigger um, bigger discussions of the season. What is your take on the Max-Checo controversy? Is Max acting like a child, or is there a little bit of fault on not necessarily just Checo, but the team and overall how they've handled it, and also, like, what does this mean for the relationship moving forward? I'm, I'm interested to hear what your kind of, like, immediate reaction was to the f- finish at Brazil and when we heard both of those radio messages um, from Checo and from Max and, and obviously Max um, not allowing his teammate through for, what was it, P6, I believe? Might have been a little bit higher. I don't yeah, remember. Anyways. Um, so in the notes that you sent me, you phrased part of it as, is Max acting like a child? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Undeniably, yes. Um, if I remember correctly, I believe there was like a four-ish second gap between them at that point. So if he come on the radio and he says, couldn't have handed it back, there was traffic and a gap and it would have been hard, bad part of the track, whatever, whatever excuse he wanted to come up with, I'm like, okay fine he tried whatever instead max was asked to do something didn't do it and in response gave a weird cryptic answer on a public radio feed that ignited or reignited depending on how conspiratorial you are this weird theory that then snowballed into an ongoing into this weekend pr train wreck where they then had to put the whole team in their fucking get-along shirt and make it look like everybody's friends and make everybody look like they're having a great time. Um, 
if he's actually doing this as retribution for a perceived slight where he thinks that uh, Checo intentionally crashed and he's saying the quiet part loud and like knows it's like that's ridiculous you're already championed you have nothing to complain about you have not been wronged nothing has happened to you i don't think this makes it just look like he's got lots of sway in the team i think it makes him look like a bit of a baby because you're not giving anything up and then the entire message into abu dhabi at the end of what should have been everybody just sort of celebrating and you know, slapping each other on the back and having a good time has become like weird damage control. And they're like, look, Max put on Instagram that he's happy that the team is t- team working. Look, everybody, we're fine. Oh my God. Um, it was stupid. There was no need to say it. There was no need to say it that way. Um, created a problem that didn't need to be there. Um, I don't think this means anything for Checo at the team though, because who else... <laughs> who else are you going to get that is seemingly this comfortable or okay with being second fiddle? He's not, but he's clearly willing to do it. Who else are you going to get that's like as good as he is, but as okay with playing that role as yeah. he is? So, okay. You're not co- going to find a Bottas out of nowhere. I so. want to go back to the Monaco thing and this whole a conspiracy because I actually think that Checo... Uh, yeah, of course you do. Well, look at the t- telemetry. Um, it, it, no one ever goes full throttle um, out of that corner where he did. So he either, he either slipped or he did it on purpose. And I it, don't think it matters if he did it on purpose for this. I don't think it matters. No, I, no. I, like, I, I think we can look at all these different issues in a vacuum um, on their own, right? Like it's brought up the discussion of whether or not Checo felt he was slighted in Spain, which to me is acting like a fucking child. Uh, because like I said back then, like someone should have gotten on the radio with him and said, Checo, we can either do this the hard way or the easy way. And then he has, you know, I think he acted like a baby after that race, thinking that the team took the victory away from him when it was only ever going to be Max's victory. Anyway, so if that is true, then yeah, is it childish for Max to kind of like get him back in such a, in such a uh, a benign way as well? Like it doesn't affect Max in the slightest. I wish we, I wish he actually just would have let him through, so we didn't have to discuss this. Now, having said that, with regards to the like what this does for the the team moving forward, Red Bull is at a place right now in which it makes zero sense to bring in. And any other veteran driver, because the options were Nico Hulkenberg before he ended up going to Haas, Daniel Ricciardo, who is a shell of himself, uh, Fernando Alonso, who, I mean, you don't want that guy going up against Max, even though he loves God, Max. God, that'd be like, sick, though. Yeah, because he'd be probably closer on pace God, that'd be awesome. than Checo would be. <laughs> so you've got this kind of solidified, um, I'd say B to B plus F1 driver in Checo in the second seat that can get you a lot of points yeah. and help with the constructors. But he's not helping you out as much as he thinks he is. Um, so there's this kind of like weird, um, it, they're kind of like uh, maybe like a little bit in no man's land where if they make a move to uh, a younger driver, that could end up being far worse um, for their uh, success. Uh, just points overall in general, having another driver up in that top six, top five, top four, whatever. I don't think you're going to find a new young driver, especially from their exactly. academy. That's what I'm saying. No, yeah. but what I mean is that wants to be there just to help Max win. 
Sure. Well, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Max will just end up like beating you. It doesn't have much to do exactly with like the team strategy play. Like, like what I'm saying is, it, it, it doesn't make sense for Red Bull because there's no young driver out there to me that is going to be guaranteed better than Checo. But on top of that, too, I, I think that Checo is submissive enough that he will end up doing what's best for the team when the team needs it the most. So he's kind of like the best combination of never going to really challenge Max on track. Therefore, they will be, there will be no battles that end in tears. And then on top of that, too, um, he's good enough to get points consistently, to be in that fight consistently, but just not good enough to like help out with strategy. It's a weird... like damned if you replace him but damned if you don't as well yeah. my thing all i meant with not finding anyone younger i know that we both agree on that but what i mean is that regardless of how beneficial they're being you're not going to get anybody in whose attitude is i'm okay with being here just to be helpful hmm. like if you get somebody who's new like they're going to be like wow i'm new and in a top team time to go kick some ass like that's <laughs> what think, i mean like you think if yuki Sonoda got brought up that he would be like yeah i'm coming for max's ass right now i don't think so why wouldn't you isn't that what you're there for right i don't know i think that a lot of these guys appreciate like i think yuki actually and especially with how much of a cliffhanger his contract status has been these past two years i think he's more just happy to be an f1 still um, I know it'd be tantalizing for these guys to push for the championship when they get the chance to be with the top car. But I think there's like a, a bit of a different dynamic when it comes to the Red Bull kind of cult-like following yeah. and, and support of Max. That kind of sucks though, doesn't it? Like, don't you want the both drivers to feel like Right. So would you rather be pushing for midfield glory, though, in a car and be better than your teammate or have a chance to win, let's say, like two or three races a year, like Checo has done um, the past couple of seasons and have that team success? I don't know. I mean, I think you're right in, in saying that like F1 drivers are a lot more narcissistic than we give them credit for um, and that it is all about them. But I think there still are people out there that see it as a team sport. No, there are for drivers sure. That, yeah. I just think that... I think that, yeah, somebody getting the chance to go, I I look at who they have available, yeah. and based on my understanding of those people, or how I've seen them race elsewhere, a, a lot of them don't give the same impression as, like, they'll just go be Valtteri Bottas for you right. to Lewis, like, that kind of dynamic. I don't see that in a lot of them, because they're, I don't know, a lot of people who have won a lot before and probably see an mm. opportunity, and they're like, well... May as well give it a try. I'm here. Like, I think you're right that we're breaking a bit of a mold. Like, there's not a lot of Rubens Barrichellos or Valtteri Bottas's anymore. God, Rubens you know? Barrichello. Oh my God, what a, just happy to be there. Yeah, like, truly. oh my God. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Like, um, um I, I think here's a good, really good, good example. George Russell. <laughs> yeah. Didn't take too long for him. To stiff arm Lewis Hamilton. No, uh, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, th I think you're right there, but but I'm all, I, what I'm saying is that I think you can still find that guy. I'm sure he exists. I think you can still find the perfect teammate for Max Verstappen. The problem is you might have already found him in Checo Perez. 
I just wish Checo had a little better pace so that he'd be consistently up there helping Max um, and not just having that one singular moment where he had the opportunity to change the entire season in Abu Dhabi and thinks that Max should be forever grateful for him and consistently um, uh, dropping back to help him out in his fight for P2 in the championship, which actually doesn't give money to the team and is only like a consolation prize. Well, the team wanted it though too, right? Sure. So it's like, could Max play the team game for once in his life? Listen, maybe, I, I'll, I, and not drive off into the fucking sunset. Here, here, here's where I stand on just, I, I wish Max would have done it. I think it's funny that he didn't, and I didn't expect anything else other than him to just be like, if if he thought that Checo crashed in Monaco, he has been waiting for six months to get him back in some sort of way. The idea that he's holding that grudge, by the way, is insane. Yeah, but like, but also wouldn't expect anything else from um, a guy like that in a dog-eat-dog world, right? Like... I can't not see Michael Schumacher doing that. I can't not see Lewis Hamilton doing that like in 2009, right? Not, yeah. I mean, Lewis Hamilton now would be the bigger man yeah. for sure. He's grown up. But, but I can't not see like Seb Vettel doing that to Mark Webber in 2012, right? Literally like, told not this, to pass him. This is what I'm, yeah, anyway. this, <laughs> multi-21 Seb, <laughs> multi-22, whatever the fuck it yeah. was. Like, this is what I'm saying. I, I don't understand why people expected Max to do anything different I if, think if the understanding was i'm gonna get checo back at some point in the season but i haven't had the opportunity because checo's never fighting with me for the win i think the difference is um in all of those other circumstances we listed the championship wasn't over yeah okay, handily fair. over <laughs> like if max was like needed to keep that position for his own thing but they were like yeah. come on we're trying to help checo here let's throw him a bone and then he was like yeah. eat a dick i can understand that but it's like he loses nothing yeah uh, Other than his ability to spite yeah. Checo. Do you want me to admit that it was petty? I'll admit it, absolutely. I, we all know yeah. it was petty. 100%. Nobody has to admit that. We know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, the relationship between Max and Checo has been a little too buddy-buddy for me up until this point. So I'm excited. You want drama? Dude, I, like I've said, I'm a Max guy, not a Red Bull guy. I, in fact, there's like three guys on Red Bull that I'll that I'll that I really care about, and it's Max, Christian Horner, and Helmut Marco. And I also the in, fucking I enjoy, <laughs> but I enjoy I enjoy the challenge of having to constantly back them up and argue in their favor because they do things like this all the time. Like, would you? I, I don't know, man. Like, like I I would much rather this than and i'm not talking about like the lack of success that mclaren has had but like it feels like there's there's no excitement within how the team works you know which it's, team it's mclaren oh like zach brown's kind of like yeah this is happening and whatever and like throughout ricardo's down uh, uh like spiraling out of control decline there's never been any controversy with him between with him and Lando or another team or another driver or whatever. It's kind of just been like frictionless. And I kind of enjoy like the whole Max versus the fucking world, even if the world includes people on his team. Yeah. I think in the Daniel example, nobody would enjoy somebody that well liked getting so bad that he starts fighting with everybody. Right. I think that just sounds sad. So I'm fine with him just being like, I don't know what happened. I'm going to eat this one and leave. Yeah. I guess like. I guess what I'm trying to say is I being this this big of a Max fan, I need people to tell me that 
like he's a dick. You're wrong for 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 choosing him. Uh, he's you know not as good as everyone thinks he is, or you know he doesn't treat people. It's good, just like good, good luck finding people say that he's not good. as good yeah, as we think he is. He but, is as good as we think he. But is. seriously, man, like sports are so fucking boring when everyone's nice to each other. This like, I'm happy this happened. <laughs> I'm not unhappy it happened. I'm just saying that if you're asking me, should he have done that or not? The answer no, is he no. Have. I agree. I agree. Yeah. He should not have done that. Are you, is I'm it, happy that is it happened. Is it funny though. that I'm, he yeah. did it? <laughs> yes, obviously. All right, let's move on um, to a, a team that um, had a lack of success after like three or four races this year and uh, finished. Uh, one of their drivers finished second in the championship, but they were pretty much the laughing stock um, of the entire season, which is like hard to do when there are teams like Williams um, and like, you know, how shitty AlphaTauri was this year. Um, and, the, you know, the, the, the joke of Nikita Mazepin uh, at Haas to start, like Ferrari 100% were the clowns of the grid this year. And they probably, I'm not, I'm not at this point now, with how much better Red Bull was the second half of the season. I'm no longer saying that like Charles Leclerc should have won, obviously, the, the championship, like that he had a car to do that. I, I don't agree with that anymore. But to be that far off the pace overall uh, at the end of the season, that is just an absolute joke. What, look, sum, up, sum up how dreadful the year was um, for the boys in red. Am I the only one on inters? Yes. Yeah. That's the emblematic <laughs> example, and it was literally a week ago yeah. of just... So, there's a lot of factors. Um, I think it takes a while before you get to the mistakes that the drivers were making, though they exist. I think a lot of this is just a fundamental Ferrari problem. Uh, I think it's a problem with like the way the team is made up and run. They don't seem to... Mattia Bonato literally said... Yeah, if we win, that's cool. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's the whole thing. That's what you're here to do. That's the goal every time. It it should be fucking Nicholas Latifi's goal to win the championship, and it should be your fucking goal to also win the championship. It should start there and then even out if it needs to by the end when you if you if Max had won by eight hundred points, then maybe, you know, you approach it a little bit differently. But there's just there's no attitude of like we can do better to ensure that we win and it seems like there's this sort of void of motivation to improve so then people start deferring stuff around and you're asking your driver 15 questions while he's trying to not kill himself going 300 miles an hour or like you have an a plan for every letter of the alphabet or you're making the wrong tire decisions or you're changing your mind or yeah. you can't convince your driver to play the team game yeah. and he just makes his own decisions and wins for himself and tells you to fuck off. And all of those things together coalesce into a massively dropped ball, like a big whiff of an opportunity. The fact that the story going into the end of this was, will Charles Leclerc even win second? <laughs> is a shame yeah. because it should have been a foregone conclusion after what we saw at the beginning of the season that that is what was going to happen. And the question should have been, how close will this be by the end that we really are still fighting this out? I think Max had this in the bag regardless, but that's not the point. Yeah. The point is they have two very good drivers. And at the beginning of the season, we thought they had the best car. 
Maybe they didn't. Evidently, they did not. But the start of the season, they did. When people were still working out how to tune the car and set it up and get the those dialed, yeah. the Ferrari looked fucking they incredible. They had the best head start. The Ferrari looked incredible. And they couldn't stop tripping over their own feet. Like, strategy calls that don't make sense. Uh, in Monaco, they stopped Charles twice within four laps because he was on the wrong tires. You just can't, you can't do that. Like aside from Charles sort of making some of his own problems, i.e. sort of just throwing it into the wall randomly in France, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, I think maybe in Singapore he did that too or somewhere else. But in any case, those are bad, but it is a foundational problem with the team does not seem to want to win. And then because they don't have that guiding, like we want to do this, Nobody around knows what to do. Mm-hmm. So all the decision making is just horrible. I think the 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 biggest problem they have is that the culture has turned into relying on the history of Ferrari to create the motivation, right? Like we're Ferrari, therefore we are. Exactly. So whereas Christian Horner has basically told everyone at Red Bull, use Mercedes as your motivate like use your hatred towards other teams to work harder and it the hate (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and mercedes is like we are the epitome of a professional professionally run um solid we are efficient german engineering (laughs) like it it seems like the top top teams the ones that consistently have been winning recently continue to find new ways to motivate themselves um, whether that is holding themselves to higher standards or in Red Bull's case, simply just using like rivalry. Um, and yeah, Red Bull just has unlimited fuel for motivation. <laughs> for sure. Whereas Mercedes is like, we've just said for the past eight years, we're better than this. Yeah. So go be better than and, this. And, and with Ferrari, it, it, to me, it seems like the, they're just pompous, right? They don't actually like, they say the thing that Mercedes says, um, in that, like, we should be better, but they don't actually, like, they believe it because history tells them has, has told them that, right? They don't believe it because they're setting high standards. They're saying, we're Ferrari, therefore we deserve to be on top. And to me, like, it's, listen, it, with regards to this season, it's not often that I see posts from this, like, anger-filled, bitter F1 social media uh, fan base and agree with them every single time it's very it's like with regards to ferrari this year every single post every single meme every single rant that i saw i was like yeah that makes a lot of sense to me people are losing their minds for for a very good reason because it it, it's it must be frustrating for you know mercedes fans this year to um to see red bull kind of like drive off in the distance right it must be really difficult for McLaren to not have that car that is top three fighting for a championship. That seemed promised. But it must be infuriating to, to truly believe that your team is not trying hard enough or isn't, isn't um, thinking like hard enough about the strategy. Because uh, that's how Ferrari fans have felt this year. They're like... Are we even doing our best? Why are you right? asking Carlos if he wants to go on plan G? Right. Like, I believe that the Haas team is, is, is putting everything they possibly can into, um, into their, their, their team, into their, their strategy, into their drivers. 
they're they're giving their their all. Williams right? would kill a member of another team. Absolutely, for a point. yeah. <laughs> like, Ferrari, it seems like they just expect things to go better than they end up going, and they kind of just close their eyes and hope it happens. They're waiting for luck to be on their side, and you right. got to make some of your yeah. own <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um. Also, I was laughing. Uh, I'm on. I'm scrolling through Twitter to see if people were saying anything that we might have missed. Yeah. Uh, Charles was giving his thank yous to the team, and he starts coughing, and it's because he accidentally hit the drink button while he was trying to talk. Holy <laughs> shit. If that isn't a metaphor. <laughs> So uh, that's awesome. That's if that's not just for our season in a fucking nutshell. Also hilarious that um, the drink doesn't work for Kimmy, but it works too well, too well for, for Charles. We fixed Ferrari. the problem, but now it's yeah, too but- many. <laughs> like that, if that's not Ferrari, so and then also like Ferrari doesn't seem to know what to do when they have two drivers because we saw this problem with right. Seb and Charles as well, where it's like oh they're both kind of up there. Yeah, what do we do? Yeah. Like, where do we go? Like, Carlos wasn't maybe as up there as you would have wanted him to be, but anytime he was, they were just like, "What do you think we should do?" And it's like you gotta make a call. I think that one of their biggest mistakes was not deciding earlier that this was Charles's season, mm-hmm. and then just go to Carlos and be like, "Look, man, you get to race for Ferrari. Isn't that exciting?" Yeah. You got to just eat this one next year. We'll see how you start. We'll take it from there. But like if I I genuinely feel if I mean, I think uh, Leclerc is going to be at Ferrari for a long time. Uh, he's the golden boy, whatever. If they go this whole run without winning a championship, I can't think of a more monumental failure. Uh, he's got it. For, for the those, materials all there for those who uh, watch hockey uh if that happens it would feel like what has happened to the toronto maple leafs the past six or seven seasons right yeah, they've got they, it it's all have, there they have all just, the pieces they just end up throwing it away and that's I, a great analogy thank you so much man good to make one fucking good point on this podcast once in a while um i, I think we can wrap up here. We got it because we said we were going to try and do an hour podcast each. We didn't start at um, 10 though. Remember that? Yeah, I know. Uh, to me, it's it's crazy that it these mistakes that Ferrari was making weren't like just three or four weekends, you know, in, in a couple of months, right? It wasn't just like the start of the season. It wasn't just like, oh, the middle part of the season. It wasn't like, oh, we ended on a sour note. It was like every second race, something ridiculously stupid will come out of that garage whether it's strategy whether it's a a driver just throwing it into the wall throwing a race victory out of the the way or weird team orders weird like hey question for our driver carlos pop quiz hello carlos uh which of these following plans like it's kind of like in the f1 game where you're like your engineer pops up and he's like a new strategy he is available. Ha- on the is available. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what we're thinking. What do you think about this? P- uh, press the B button to select. Yeah. Like, and you're like, I can do that because I'm sitting on my couch. Yeah. <laughs> they were still doing that today I in know. Abu Dhabi. They, they, I earnestly believe that Ferrari needs to change nothing about their drivers and gut leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Absolutely. Like, 
They it, need they need a culture change. It's really weird to me. We we've we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but it's really weird to me in a sport that involves so much science, so much math, yeah. so much like point at that thing, call it what it is, and move on, that there's a culture problem. Like this isn't you're not handling twenty-two NHL players and all these different relationships and all this stuff for the actual like on ice product. It's just two drivers and two cars that you have to get that shit correct, yeah. right? And like and that's not easy, but it seemed like you got the car right and yeah. you know the drivers are good. <laughs> yeah. So like where's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. It it, it it seems to me like there's only a few decisions in a race that should end up having a significant impact on the outcome. Whereas in a lot of different sports, you have so many more players, so much more strategy, so much more, uh, so many more variables to affect the outcome. And it's like Ferrari just ends up creating more variables for themselves, more questions to the test for themselves that they end up just like, Making a a, a a mountain out of a molehill almost every yeah. single weekend, and, so, it, and it must be like poor poor Matt from WTF one. Oh my god! Not I mean, it's he's hard not a to, fanboy, just passionate. It's hard. How do you even be passionate about? It's this? hard to have a, have sympathy for a guy that annoying. Yet <laughs> here we are, <laughs> and yet I do. Um, I will say last on this. Um, the rumor is that uh, Fred Vasser from yeah. Alfa Romeo may be coming into B team principal there. Um, if he does, I think they're making a great decision because Fred Visser's job for the last several years has been overperform with garbage. Yeah. Um, and they do, at least sometimes. They're doing it more with Bottas and Joe than they did with uh, Kimi and Giovinazzi, but they do it. Yeah. And I think if his mentality is we need to really claw for every bit that we can get and overperform. If you bring that attitude to a place that's already right there, that's the attitude that they need to be having. I I think to wrap up on this, I think that when Christian Horner and Toto Wolf look at a problem, they start from the base level. Like every single season, they start out truly believing that they have earned nothing yet. Yeah. And that they need to build things from the ground up. And I don't know if Ferrari looks at their um, Ferrari uh, success like that. Yeah. And then they go, how do we add to yeah, that? Exactly. And um, the answer is you don't, apparently. I do think it does kind of get unremarked upon because Red Bull is on the ascendant right now. But yeah, like Mercedes was so successful for so long because, you know, sure, you've won six championships in a row. But when you enter year seven, you go... Okay, well, we all suck. How do we fix that? Like, you need to approach yeah. it like you expect to start last. And, you know, I don't think Lewis or Max or whatever driver you want to point to has the wins that they have. If their attitude isn't, I need to go out there and prove everybody wrong again, even though we all already think you're the best. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if Ferrari had started this season where Mercedes was, you know, battling for like fourth and fifth and sixth oh, in the constructors championship, right? Yeah. There's no way in the world that they would have ended up winning a race and being like solidified top three yeah. status the final like eight or nine races. Distant this season. distant third in the constructors. Yeah. Is yeah. what that would have yeah. been. Yeah. And like maybe if Ricardo had turned things around, McLaren would have like or Alpine would have kind of pushed, really pushed them, them for yeah. third. Yeah. Yeah. Um okay, moving on. Uh you know, we did this last season 
chose the top three and and uh, worst three races of the season. I kind of don't really care to talk about the worst three races of the, the worst season. ones were all boring. Yeah. So we'll we'll do this. Choose your favorite race of the year and then three honorable mentions. Okay. I will go first. Please. Uh, number one for me was Silverstone. What was your number one? Silverstone. Okay. Uh, I I don't think we like. The, the amount of storylines on top of the incredible driving, on top of Max being out of it, therefore a lot more was up for grabs up top. And also how just how close all of the top contenders were yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And think about also think about it like this. So let's say they actually pit Charles, right? And he comes out um, and he's like fourth or fifth when that thing starts. Then we genuinely, like, I think people were kind of lying to themselves when, you know, Crofty was like, we have, like, a, a four-way battle for the lead of the race. It's like, nah, Carlos kind of, like, was was given enough room to kind of just, like, dictate the pace, um, the final few laps of that race. If Charles ends up falling back because they en- they actually pit him and he's storming through the field, then that could have genuinely been, like, a five-way fight for first place. But it was still incredible. Still incredible. In that part where they're going through the S's, because I forget what those turns are actually called. Maggots, I'm, Beckett's. Is that it? Cops. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm no, not, not, not cops. Maggots, not, Beckett's, and Brooklyn. Brooklyn's? Fuck. No, it's not Brooklyn. But Maggots and Beckett's are two yeah, of them. Yeah, because I'm not fucking David Croft tilled. <laughs> but um, uh, they were going like three wide through that or yeah, some shit. Yeah. Like it was fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unquestionably, the most exciting, I think, uh, yeah. first honorable mention. Yeah, uh, go for it. Brazil. Yeah, Brazil was my uh, yeah. was my first honorable <laughs> because mention. Because yeah. holy shit. What a weekend overall, yeah. but also like that race had a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, and it wasn't a sure thing. Lewis really could have could have won that. I think it, that's also one of the... One of the times that a sprint race weekend has actually been... Uh, the, the, the overall weekend has benefited from it having that type of structure, you know, having qualifying so early on with only one practice session. I think that when we, when we talk about sprint weekends, we kind of forget that qualifying, actually the order of qualifying seems to be juggled up a little bit more because the drivers are not fully acclimatized to the track yet. Right. And so that it obviously that I think that helped a lot with the order that we ended up getting, but then on top of that too, you know, Max fell down from first to uh, fourth or yeah, to fourth during the sprint race. That juggled things up a lot, a little bit more. If that doesn't happen, we don't get Max and Lewis crashing during the race and um, bringing even more um, uncertainty into Sunday and even more kind of like chaos in the midfield. So yeah, I mean, from from top to bottom, you get that 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 Magnuson moment. Yeah. Um, and at the end, you know, uh, first race winner and the uh, the first race win for from Mercedes this year. So, I mean, and I'm glad they got one. I genuinely am yeah. not just in that like, um, oh, you know, like they're good. So they should continue proving that they're good. But it did feel like a, an earnest comeback story for a team to be that dominant for that long, show up and go, we don't even know what's wrong with the car. Yeah. And well, you took the side pods off. Well, you took the side pods clean off. (laughs) But um, it was nice to see them figure that out um, to the point where it was a one, two, and they were really in there. Like, it was nice to be like, okay, they're fine. Everybody relax. Bono, my side pods are gone. (laughs) (laughs) 
okay. Uh, second honorable mem- honorable mention, Hungary, Austria. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't care for Austria. Yeah. Interesting. I, Explain yourself. I was reminded about Austria when I was looking back at the previous results, yeah. and really, what I'm thinking about is just Leclerc having to make up a lot of time and sort of fighting back. Yeah, my argument to that would be it to me. As a Max fan, it felt inevitable the entire the entire yeah. way through. Um, Ferrari, he was Ferrari was just yeah. so much better that weekend. Hungary was on my radar though, as well. So yeah, that's your second. That's your third. No, but mention? it was oh, on okay. my radar so, as well. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. How could it not be? Yeah. But uh, Hungary to me, like, I thought Max was going to win that race, but I I didn't believe it to be a guarantee, and. I mean, just like the moment where where um, Ferrari ended up getting the strategy wrong was just like another that 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 to me was probably top two or top three worst calls they had all season long. So I I, I think that 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 contributed to the storyline of oh wow this actually might be Mercedes to lose now because Ferrari have just thrown it away entirely. Yeah. Max storming back through the field, his spin, um, and uh, I think there were quite a few pit stops as well i just thought yeah. it was like a, there were a few it was a beauty it was beautifully chaotic at points yeah there was a few tracks that have bad reputations that had good races this year and hungary was one of them and hungry hungry last year won yeah. our number one i'm pretty sure yeah, yeah. two hungry, years in a row hungry last I, year was fucking awesome i don't know why we go to that track and every single time you know i listen to a couple podcasts uh, previews see a couple of articles see the discourse on twitter and they're talking about like how do we how do we better improve racing and overtaking at Hungary? I'm just like, dude, I don't really remember a boring race at Hungary in the past like six or seven seasons because uh, we even had, uh, when Lewis was going to win, I believe in 2020, um, by a fucking landslide, uh, there was a genuine battle with him and Max in the final couple of laps for the race win. And the year prior to that, I think it was the, absolute reverse where max and red bull got the strategy correct and ended up doing it to them so i don't know i i think that the whole like the main straight probably shouldn't begin with a hairpin right they should probably sort that out but i think that the yeah but then Bottas has to find somewhere else to go bowling no no the hairpin to, to start the main oh, straight oh just start yeah, yeah. yeah. no the first the first, first break turns awesome. first breaking zone is fucking sick first turn rules but i i think it doesn't get a, give enough credit um how the next section, you know, after the first, after turn one, turn two, turn three, and then the lead up into uh, that crazy fast left hander, there's always like wheel to wheel, side by side racing there. And it doesn't, if you look at the track uh, from a bird's eye view, you're like, how? Because the straight's not long enough, but it just ends up like the DRS zones are in the perfect spots. And we always end up getting some really, really cool overtakes over that um the left-handed yeah. hairpin that's like a, a elongated yeah. hairpin. I also, think it's a great track. Yeah, also it's silly because of who's involved thinking about it now, but that battle between Max and Mick last year yeah. was pretty sick. Right, when uh, when Max had the, the car damage. damage to his yeah. side pod, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. My last honorable mention was uh, Baku. Oh, interesting. Okay, I, I have a different one. Um, Go on. Baku was a fucking mess. Um, Baku... I think always does a a fun race, you know, and it's weird because like you look at the podium and you're like, okay, this is pretty standard stuff, but this race had five DNFs in it. 
and I just in both Ferraris. So it was another one of those examples of just ooh, this is not going great. What happened? To the Ferraris? Well, yeah, I just I guess one of the reasons why it's not on my list is because well, it's clearly not memorable to me. Yeah. So um because I believe so Max won. Yeah. With Checo in third? No, second, third. But then like Gasly was fifth. Right. Seb was sixth. Mm-hmm. Alonzo was seventh, and then both McLarens were in the points. Albon just outside the points, Bottas just outside the points. Like it was just a good example of everything kind of packed in right you know outside of that core top like the best teams there like everything yeah. was condensed and some cars like the aston martin and stuff like obviously outperforming the car right hugely gasly outperforming the car hugely i actually need to i looked at this yesterday but i've already forgotten um what the deal with the retirements was um for the ferraris but uh let me look at that really quick uh, both their cars just failed. Huh. Um, but I just remembered that one. I don't know. Coda. Coda was good. Coda was very good. Coda was good. Um, that kind of Max and Lewis's battle, like rejuvenated, like re- reborn. That was really fun. I, and genuinely not knowing if Max was going to be able to do it at one point, it didn't feel like it was being artificially pumped up by Crofty and Brundle, it felt like it was actually going to be a real battle. You had a, a massive crash between Alonzo and Stroll that was super controversial. Uh, and then at the start when, uh, was it Carlos who just took out George? I think, yeah, it was. Or was it George? That took, no, George took out Carlos? George took out Carlos. George took out Carlos, yeah. So you had a, you had a couple of safety cars, a couple of you know really big moments, um, and I thought the the racing throughout the midfield was sick too. I remember Stroll and Vettel having a couple of big battles, um, and it kind of just like walked. I kind of walked away from that race thinking I was never a massive fan of Austin because with the old cars, the S's section kind of just made it impossible yeah. to get close for the long straights. But you can and, now, and now they've fixed that and. It enables such more close racing in the in the final sector, where you know you have that kind of that long right hander that Vettel was making moves um, on the outside of cars, and it kind of just now that we were able to to keep close during the the S's in the sector one, it enables really cool unique racing because we don't have a track like that. I don't yeah. think on the on the calendar. Oh. Malaysia actually is what it feels like. Yeah, and so it it enables really close racing for the entirety of the of the final two sectors. Well, and then like Vettel and Magnussen through the last yeah. part yeah. of the lap was just bananas. Yeah, um, I actually missed this. I meant I'm just going to include it quickly. Uh, Monza specifically for Nick DeVries. Okay. Because that was like... Yeah. So you spent that whole race just going, is he going to do it? Yeah. Is he really going to do it? When's he going to fall off? Is he really going like, to do I, it? I expect him to just trail back. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we just talked about this a little, but we'll get into it now. Were the regulations a success or did they under-deliver overall? So to me, they were an overwhelming success. I, I heard a lot of comments recently about how there wasn't enough parity in the standings for people. To me, that comes down to the teams just simply getting it right. And I don't know how you would push the limits with artificially making that happen because we already have significant 
differences between the amount of tunnel time that the teams get in the offseason if you finish higher up in the standings. And I think that Red Bull and Ferrari just simply got it right. And maybe next year, with a full season under everyone's belt, more teams will understand the regulations a little better. And then the work that F1 has done with trying to, again, artificially create some parity, then it will actually come to fruition. Yeah, I think... Um, but Mercedes proved that progress can be made. Yeah. So I think that's a good sign as well. For sure. I think we do know that the teams that aren't there can get there. I think the new regs are a success, but I think it's fair to say that the regs just being a regular success and not an overwhelming success, um, you can be disappointed by that. And the reason I say that is because it's net positive to see how tight the midfield got because, oh my God, yeah, there were some weekends where a car would just roll up and it'd be like, actually, we're great now. <laughs> and the it really genuinely felt like from P7 down any weekend, it could be any team in there. Like the third race of the season, Alex Albon course gonna talk about him but um he's just like you know you can go 60 laps if you want <laughs> on yeah. like one set of tires like teams that didn't seem like they had a business last season being anywhere near the points could get points pretty reliably um and the tightness of the midfield i think is really important however i think the promise of the regs was not to really tighten the midfield and then really tighten the top teams it was to bridge the gap yeah. between those, and it didn't do that. I think it failed at that. Um, the Mercedes only appeared to be bridging that gap because it was bad relative to the top teams, but it was better than the midfield. So I think if the promise of the regulations was we have brought all of it closer together, eh, it went okay. If the promise was tighter racing in general, yes. I think so. But, I mean, Red Bull and fucking Adrian Newey is clearly a genius because yeah. he clearly figured something out that, like, they have some sort of fucking secret sauce cooking over there <laughs> where um, they just know what to do. But that car is... I know by the end of the season, other teams caught up, but that car is unquestionably leaps and bounds better than every other car. Most consistent throughout the entire season. Yeah. There wasn't really a race in which they showed up and were not favorites for at least a podium position. Right? Yeah, I think the thing that they need to try to figure out is how do we get... And I know that the teams have to do this as much as the regulations, but how do we get a new team into that like upper tier? Yeah. Right? Like, you need a fourth... To be fourth, fair, we, we added one this year. Right? Like, Ferrari got back on, on, uh, on pace with... I mean... For God's sakes, they were fucking leading the championship through five rounds. Yeah, right? but I also think that the top three teams have, for a long time, have been Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari, right? I mean, yeah, but like, I'd be just watching Ferrari in 2018, 2019, 2020. It was kind of a shit show, right? So it almost felt like, and didn't McLaren beat them uh, one or two of those years? Anyways, McLaren I, beat I just, them in 2020. 20 when the regulate when the new regulations came along i was thinking that ferrari was essentially now a midfield team just with their performance the past couple of seasons so 
I don't know. I, I guess yeah. If you want to, if you want to do you know the past decade, then of, of course you know Ferrari has been a top three team. But I, I still saw it as enabling a midfield team to take that next step, right? So yeah, you can I, make the argument. I I think that well, we to, to be very fair, we've had two teams fighting for the championship at the very most the past seven seasons, right? Yeah. It has never been. It was never Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes in a season. It was never that. Um, uh, I think Vettel's Vettel's uh, win in 2012 was the last time we had more than two constructors actually fighting for both championships. So I just saw that as a return to possibly a little more um, uh, parity at the top. Yeah, so, and I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but I think what people's expectations might have been, aside from that, because you know two teams that were already yeah. there stayed there, is like maybe an Alpine or something sure. being like oh now they're way closer than we thought they yeah. were something so like maybe that. too much was promised you know it's entirely possible um or it'll just inevitably kind of take yeah. time and on alpine I, I they were like two like one or two parts away from kind of genuinely being in that fight for a couple of race wins because even when like alonzo would qualify you know second in canada right or they'd have really good race pace one one day you just be like, it's just not going to end up being enough because the top three teams have all of those parts and you're missing a couple, yeah. right? Like that one, one week the engine would be incredible and you're like, yeah, but you suck. Your exits out of corners are horrible. You can't line stuff up against Mercedes and, and Ferrari for overtakes in the top three or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't really have too much on this next topic. Improvements you want to see from the FIA and F1 in general heading into 2023. The rule changes to me like we need we need to fix the red flag rules in quali. Uh, even uh, you know a, a week ago in Brazil when George Russell beaches that car, it had a significant impact on um, uh, on qualifying. Right? You had uh, uh, Checo in Monaco. You had um, the previous season with Leclerc in Monaco. Um, constantly, we're seeing. Drivers that are, you know, lining themselves up for either a chance at pole or to, you know, get into Q2, get into Q3 that have their, um, that have their attempt, you know, thrown away. And because, because it is just what it is now with, with the rules, uh, you know, we don't get that final shootout. And to me, it seems inherently unfair to the drivers and also bringing down the entertainment level for especially, you know, a weekend like Monaco in which that final shootout is supposed to actually be the climax of the weekend. So that. Um, oh, Baku as well. Didn't Alonso screw Albon, was it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so there's, to, to me, like, you need to make a rule so that you, you it, just if you cause a red flag, you don't keep your time yeah. for starters. Or, but I think we just need to make sure that everyone gets one last go. Well, that's what I was going to say. Know? But I yeah. also think it's worth because I think what a lot of people want is they want there to be a punishment for that. Right. So sure, but yeah, yeah just like yeah, red if, red flag and quality is like five posi- is is a five five place grid penalty or something like that. That seems a bit extreme. I oh, think okay. I think it's just whatever time. Like if you put it on provisional poll, yeah, and then tr- go again and bin it, yeah. Knock the last time you did it off. Okay, that's what people were sort of asking for. Is like, yeah, because if you've gone at it, if because people think that that will disincentivize doing it intentionally, mm-hmm. 
Um, I also have time limits to races. I mean, can we move on from that? And then we heard today, I didn't know about this, but DRS is being enabled to lap earlier next season. Yeah. That seems like a good decision. That's about it for yeah, me. Yeah, I though. think they got to change more about DRS. I, My preference would be, I heard a couple people speculate on this. I don't think this, they're going to do this, so I'm not going to bother including it. But instead of having two designated zones where you can use it, you have... <laughs> A finite amount, but you can deploy it where you want. Yeah. Because that, if it's meant to help with overtaking, it means that if you're in a spot that is an unconventional spot for an overtake, dude, fat, but it'd be so fascinating. You're a little bit closer than you ought to be. You could just get that. I know that's what the battery is for. But it's like just a little yeah. bit more, just a little bit. Yeah. And then, you know, I obviously it would be much harder to legislate and actually use. Yeah. So I'm sure that's why they're not interesting. Doing what it. that would do to DRS trains as well. I think it would break them yeah. because people aren't going to use it at the same time every time because, you know, somebody who's within DRS and then they're like at the head of a train, but before the second zone, they get way close to the guy ahead of them, just use it again. Yeah. And then you've broken the toe now and, you know, a whole different thing has now happened. That would be, that would be fucking awesome. That'd yeah. be crazy. I don't think that's like, I don't know how feasible that is, but it would be cool. Um, I've got a couple short ones as well. Yeah. Uh, keep heavy equipment off the track, you fucking maniacs. <laughs> That's number one. Uh, they need to make a call on if a safety car or a VSE is starting faster. Yeah. Multiple times this season, we saw like five laps go by of yellow flag and sector or whatever. And it's like, okay, are we stopping the race or not? Yeah. Um, just make a call. Just opt for a safety car way more yeah. often. Well, and it's like, yeah. And also just, it's literally safer to do that. I would rather right. a safety car we didn't need than something go wrong. Yeah. Right? Whatever. I don't care. Um, also, I said this last year. I'm going to say it again. It got better, but it has not gotten better enough. Enforce the rules <laughs> uniformly. <laughs> um, they've learned the lesson with track limits. That's great. Uh, but it feels like when it comes to things like racing incidents, um, it is still hard to gauge what is and is not a penalty for who and why. Um, what actions result in what penalties? Some things feel like they're getting five seconds. Other things got 10 seconds. Sometimes yeah. nobody's getting anything. There needs to be a, did somebody do X? If the answer is yes, this is the penalty. End of story. There is clearly too much interpretation among the stewards of what they're allowed to apply given certain circumstances. The gray areas just need to be gone. Stuff like, for example, like black and orange flag with K-Mag. And yep. I'm just being like, why am I the only person who's getting yeah. these? And then somebody else has essentially the exact same thing happen. And then they don't get one. And it's like, why? Uh, yeah, in Brazil, was it Max's wing that flew off? Yeah. That replay was terrifying. How, like the marshals were right yeah, there. So it's, and it's one of those things where it's like, either Kevin shouldn't be getting black and orange flagged. Yeah. Or Max <laughs> should be. Yeah. And you need to pick which one it it's is. It's very clear that they feel freed up to make that decision with a with a, a back marker or midfield car. It feels like they're worried about making like yeah. if you black and orange flag Max Verstappen. Yeah, you're gonna you hear about know it later. That people are going to freak the fuck out, yeah. and it makes it, it makes it feel like they're reluctant to do it. We're seeing it with track limits too. Max in qualifying in Abu Dhabi, as an example, one of his flying laps. I forget which one. It didn't end up mattering. Um. To me, from every angle they showed, and the commentators sort of agreed, like it looked like he went over the track. Was it his first lap in Q3? I think so. Yeah. Like, it just looked I, like he was I fully agreed. over the yeah. white line. And yeah. this looked like, and it's like, every, other drivers are getting times deleted. Why is Max not getting a time yeah. deleted? 
like you there needs to be i need to know what the rules of the sport are mm-hmm. and how they work can i i also i don't like what they did with the um racing incident slash collision slash whose turn is it rule this year for uh, for a really good reason uh lewis and max's crash in brazil now like am i i don't think that you know lewis acted uh properly there uh that's kind of besides the point because the discussion became whose corner was it and it's like to me especially in corners like the first two in Brazil, where it enables side-by-side racing throughout the entire uh, way until that that back uh, that that first straight. The question shouldn't be whose turn whose uh, whose turn it was. It should be did did did, did the track enable close racing, side-by-side racing, wheel-to-wheel racing, and to me it did. Therefore, Lewis disabled max from being on the track of that at that point he simply said no this is not going to happen i'm going to turn into you right now where there was a lot of room on the outside so was it lewis's corner by the rules actually yes because he was ahead by a couple inches at that point is it dumb to give max a penalty for simply wanting to have close racing into there yes so it's funny we're just complaining about how there's like not enough black and white rules Racing incidents, close racing, wheel-to-wheel racing, I actually want to be, like, a lot more gray. <laughs> I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, I, I well, think... Well, I think it's just... It can still be black and white, but it's just, like... When there is a certain bit of context, I should know what happens. Right. Like, you know... It would be difficult to write rules like that, but I can see why we're both right you know yeah because on, no, the, I mean, one, on the black one hand and, black and white rules for the things like unsafe release yeah for red and orange flags for um turn limits uh, sorry uh, uh track limits 100 percent, i agree with you but when it's racing at 200 miles fucking per hour into tight corners or into into you know places where drivers decisions are impacting those rules and not necessarily just like um, uh, being released by your team, having uh, some some damage on your car, which is being examined by um, you know high definition cameras that can be looked at by the rules officials, or again high definition cameras examining whether or not the car, a black and white rule, went over the track limits. Like, yeah, I want those to be black and white for sure. But there's just too many instances in which like a, a black and white black and white rule ends up being interpreted differently. And then the penalty get, gets uh, is given to the wrong driver. That's all I'm saying. I think we agree, though. Like, here's what we want to see. I, just the referees need to be better. Yeah. <laughs> just be like, better at like your job. Like in every sport, yeah, it, <laughs> the problem is the refs. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, I'm going to grab my water. But you wanted to talk about the drivers uh, from next season. Yeah. Um, I think so, we can do uh, this quickly. Sure. Um, so we've got a few different drivers coming into next season. And I just wanted to give a quick assessment of like... I guess what we can do is, is like, what are we expecting from these drivers at these teams? Or if they're brand new, what do they need to do? Um, Oscar Piastri is where I want to start because, bud, buddy, Oscar, you listening? You need to be so good. Mc, uh, McLaren? <laughs> to justify yeah. the fucking circus that you caused. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not entirely his fault. Alpine fumbled the bag big time. Alpine 
sort of fuck this up, but Oscar Piastri has to show up like beating Lando to justify the circus of what happened. And that's not me speaking as a McLaren fan. That's me genuinely saying people will be upset with him if he's not doing that. I just think that's true. I think that he now has artificially inflated expectations based on the circus of his signing. Yeah. That will be very interesting to see what plays out. Very interesting. Um, I don't think he actually necessarily needs to be beating Lando, but like the expectations will be quite high. And uh, I don't know how he's going to meet them. We've never seen him mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to me. Like if he comes out and has a performance like Ricardo to start the season, I to me, the narrative is completely turned in Lando's favor. Mm-hmm. And it goes, oh my God, maybe maybe the car actually does fucking suck. And we just have a genius in one of them. It's and possible. Ricardo actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> It would play into both of their hands. The only person it doesn't necessarily help is Piastri. Piastri, However, Piastri, it's interesting because on the one hand, you'd think, you know, rookies get flexibility in their first year. But the context of the signing just kind of blows all that out of proportion. Uh, I just think that'll be interesting. Um, Next up. Logan Sargent. Uh, First of all, good job, Logan. You did it. Uh, You you get a job. Um, Wow, they gave him a lot of pressure for no reason uh calling their shot so early um because a few of it hinged on things like don't get penalties anywhere right sometimes that's out of your hands uh as we've learned with these refs um <laughs> i like calling them refs by the yeah, way <laughs> i think i think if logan Sargent, oh my god hold on quick the uh the steward that uh uh should decide track limits should be the linesman agreed okay cool absolutely um they should wear helmets and they should have striped shirts. <laughs> and, they have, and they have whistles as well. Um, I think that if Logan Sargent shows up and is close to Alex, yeah, slam dunk, you guys crushed it. Because yeah. we know the car is not great. And we know that Alex has been driving it till its fucking wheels fell off. Um, in some cases, you're having a really hard time getting that up back These plugged head, in. Once every fucking <laughs> recording. The, um, oh, God, I found it. I, found I think uh, Logan Sargent, on the one hand, just sort of needs to show up and do okay. Yeah. On the other hand, he's about to become so fucking popular. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, the sport's expanding in the United States the fastest it maybe ever has. He's the first full-time American F1 driver since 2005. Right. Slam dunk genius no wonder they fast-tracked him i think they fast-tracked him as much because you know he won three races in his rookie season in f2 he finished fourth that's good um but holy shit he's about to make them a lot of money Mm -hmm. like that's a gimme three races in the u.s and you got the first american driver since 2005 yeah yeah man it's not usually that um teams get uh, you know put a new driver in place that will not only improve the on-track uh uh um uh performance of that you know specific yeah. car obviously because he is a step up from latifi yeah but that oh the team's ability now to put more money into the development of the car and to you know basically you know fight in the midfield or potentially move further up because yeah. the driver is bringing in so much um not necessarily like sponsorship money but just like eyeballs on the team Hype. and excitement yeah right like when you buy a hat from Red Bull, like a portion of that money still goes into like the development yeah. and, and like I contracts think, of, of the drivers and like 
um, uh, how, how many how many people like hands on on deck and all yeah. this stuff. Americans are going to show up. Yeah, you to cheer so? for Logan Sargent. Yeah, cool. I really do, um, and I think that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I hope for the sake of that um, mission that the car looks better. Like the car, lo- to me, the Williams is the clunkiest car on the grid right now. Um, it does like aesthetically. It just, yeah. It just yeah. doesn't really look like a modern day. <laughs> it doesn't look fast. Yeah, No, it doesn't. Um, it's the, the, the front, the front wing is, is the worst on the grid by far. The livery is just bad as yeah. well. Um, yeah. they've also got too much exposed carbon for how dark the paint job yeah. is. I agree. Um, it, it, it looks like an F like it looks like as if it looks like Logan like Sargent's F two car in that that's what I was, looks, yeah. looks better. That's what I was saying. So yeah. I, it just doesn't look like it should be on the level of these F one cars. Like it, it just it no. looks like an, it, it looks like an imposter. It literally looks behind. Yeah. yeah, and we made fun of the livery last year, which I liked. I did like that livery, but we made fun of it for looking like a template from a video game, right? Because it had the white nose the white and all the, the stripes. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you put that on this car, it would look so better. much yeah. better. I didn't mind last year's. I like Williams. it. It's yeah. cool. It's weird. Um, who else we got? Let me think. Uh, Fernando's well, going to Aston Martin. What the yeah. fuck is he doing, dude? He uh, he's misjudged this. I think quite a bit. Let, let's hear. Let's um. Let's discuss this. Uh, two new drivers moving to teams. So, I I, I think that a really interesting question is. Which teammates will fight more next season? Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll or Esteban Alcon and Pierre Gasly at Alpine? And I actually don't have a clear answer because I think Esteban and Gasly will... They're at least trying to bury the hatchet. Well, they're they're closer on... Uh, pace. I, I believe they're two very, very good drivers that are able to bring cars to where they don't necessarily deserve to be. But Lance is a shithead, <laughs> and that car's not great. So Fernando's going to have many races where the the, Mar- the Aston Martin, very likely, because it will be a different car, obviously, very likely uh, where it won't be performing, and their strategies will collide, and they'll have to go toe to toe, and Lance is going to do some dumb shit to look at the battles we've seen between Lance yeah. and Seb, right. Or Lance and Fernando this year. Lance and Fernando. <laughs> but my thing is, Fernando is trying to avoid two things. One, he thinks that that team is on a better trajectory for better development. Yeah. Probably because Lawrence Stroll is a billionaire. Um, <laughs> but he also feels like Esteban Ocon is like actively stifling his ability to race. Yeah, right. The team environment is wrong. I don't know what he saw other than dollar signs that would make him consider Lance to be a better prospect for that Lance is as likely to cause that problem the difference here and the reason why I think Fernando and Lance are probably more likely to have the big blow up is if you don't think Fernando is ready to light that dude up in the press (laughs) yeah I think Alpine knows what their reputation is and is gonna want to hide it because they know like okay we've brought in a guy and we know that they have a reputation and a history of not liking each other we are putting our best foot forward. We are showing that they're good. And I think they're going to do everything they can to hide if there are any problems there. Mm-hmm. You're not hiding Fernando. There's one, He'll say fucking anything. There's one guarantee for me in this all. I think a lot is up, uh, you know, up in the air. Uh, the one guarantee is that Alpine will be Frencher than ever. Indeed. It's going to be so French. We. Oui. <laughs> oui. Um Also, last, uh, I think the last one is um, 
Nico Hulkenberg. I think that Haas has made the wrong decision. Oh, really? Yes. Because you think Mick is on like an upward trajectory. I think Mick's ceiling is way higher because we don't sure. know yet. Well, yeah. Um, so he had Mick had. I'm going to do this fast because I know we're running out of time. Um, Mick had one season in one of the worst cars we've ever seen. Yeah. With a teammate that was still somehow like five to ten seconds off him yeah. by the end of lap like two. <laughs> so that was no benchmark at all. He was basically flying completely blind in his first season in F1. Right. Let's be honest. This isn't just giving him the benefit of the doubt. He had nothing. This season, he comes in with a much more experienced teammate who admittedly had a year off. But still, K-Mag, no slouch, has his moments. You know, Mick underperformed. That's true. I think Haas wanted more. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that they wanted more. I think Mick's potential is there. I think Mick's biggest problem is that he's not like his dad. And what I mean by that isn't just that he's not dominant, but Mick's biggest benefit in F2 was not that he was going to win every race, but that he was like consistent. Yeah. I think given the ability of the car, he's doing what he has shown he's able to do. The car just isn't great, and week to week, it's hard to gauge where it actually is. Mm. So it seems like he's falling off, but K-Mag's also falling off. We just remember, I think, the K-Mag highlights because they were really big deals, but he also had many years of F1 experience, and it was a new car to both of them. I think that Mick, given the opportunity, could only go up if they waited, and I think that they got nervous that they were drawing more attention and more sponsors and felt like they needed something that guaranteed results right away. Mm. Hulkenberg's sub-performances do imply that, but we have seen his absolute ceiling already. He's not going to show up and suddenly win races. It's just not a thing. And I'm not saying Mick would in the Haas, but his potential is far greater. And I would rather see somebody make up for a slow start and capitalize on potential than just see, okay, Nico Hulkenberg is back. That's cool. But like, what's he really going to do? I'm not convinced that that was the right decision. Yeah. I just think Hulkenberg's better. Anyways, moving on. That was a great analysis. I didn't have anything to, that's fine. Like I just, I just, you're, you're right in almost, I believe you're right in almost every single thing except for your final conclusion. Which is that Mick can be better than Nico, and I just don't believe that. That's fine. No, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Anything Anything else? No, we can probably wrap this one. Okay. Crazy that Sonoda get, got another year. Anyways, moving on. You think so? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he deserves it at all. Um, Who'd you put in there? Uh, who would I put in there? Yeah, Lawson? Uh, Danny Ricardo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> fucking why not, dude? I think Yuki's horrible. <laughs> I don't think there's that big of a difference between how Yuki did this year and how Ricardo did. Um, I guess we'll find out. I guess I guess we'll find out uh, next week during our uh, driver grades podcast. See you then, Corey.